my my girlfriend she works at a hospital and uh when we come back from the house i i remember i i I come talking about my problems. I'm like, you know, this 50 mil was a bit off and, you know, the AC was having trouble and probably in it. And then she's like, we deal with this guy who almost killed himself, you know? Hmm. So I'm like, I'm humbled every time. I remember like our problems, you know, right. sometimes are not that big in, in the film set. And, and it's a good reminder to just go out there and have fun. Like, it is it's a definitely a good reminder because I definitely forget to I get too stressed or too focused and then I, I end up not enjoying the process and then when it's finished I'm like wow we just did this amazing thing and I just didn't enjoy any bit of it so it's um, I try to be more towards the fun side of things while still keeping like a good dynamic and rhythm to the things I do I guess from Ecuador it's in South America um, my parents are from Spain um, and Uruguay it's a little bit of a mixed salad going on but um, I, I started it all started in South America um, I, I was actually meant to be a drummer uh, I played drums for like six years or so and you know that was kind of like my dad's a musician so that was kind of it had to be that way and then everything kind of like turned out a little bit different because uh, we end up moving to another country and I couldn't take the drum kit with me. And I remember um, my parents didn't have enough money to buy another drum kit, so I was like, fuck. And then uh, I remember going to, in one of these, like, it's been six months and I haven't played at all and it's just like started to feel a bit off. And I remember going to, um, there was like, we lived in, we used to live in front of the beach and go for a, for a beach walk. and. Uh, I saw like this photography group taking like little pictures and I thought like maybe, you know, maybe this is kind of cool. And then that kind of like just escalated all the way to film school later in, in Ecuador again, just normal film school for like three years, which, um, you know, it felt, felt good. It felt meeting other people and stuff. But I guess once, once you finish it, everyone had a little bit of like mixed thoughts about it. And, um, I didn't want to stay in South America. I wanted to keep moving on, and um, I, I looked to, to to the U.S. first, and and then looked into Sweden as well because I got a little bit of family over there. But it seemed like the right move to do was somewhere in in London. Always kind of like drawn my attention anyway, and uh, I knew a few people in there that have already gone through there, and they were like, you know, it's it's for the stuff you're doing in South America. I reckon you can find people that can help you out kind of like you know explode that and exploit that on, on on london so um or in the uk in general really so that i just you know decided to work a few years after film school get some money and you know went straight into the big city man that's awesome man how old are you i'm 30 Okay, and what's sort of the timeline here? Like from you getting that first camera to then like going to film school, coming to London, like what sort of years were those? So I, I came in pretty late actually because of like the drumming bit and I actually studied a little bit of journalism before as well. So I, I, I guess I wanted to be more in the journalism and stuff. And then, um, so when I was around 20, 25, I think, 25, 26 is when I decided that I, I either wanted to be a director or a cinematographer. I wasn't sure yet. And um, it was when we were doing the master's 
for the in film school that like the final projects that um I just realized I was a really bad director <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it just didn't work out um I just I don't know I guess like having that amount of control um wasn't for me I just felt it was I, I wasn't very good like talking person to person like if I had to explain mm -hmm. to an actor something I was struggling a bit well, it's when I was trying to explain a shot, it just felt way more easy and almost like smooth to tell. So I decided to, when I graduated, I directed a project, but I, I decided that I wanted to start working more on camera. So I built my way up there from the camera department. So a scene for uh, DPs from, you know, older years than me. So starting to help them out uh, in, you know, I was like, bring me to any shoot you have, like whatever you have, I'll help you, I'll AC. And then, you know, while, while AC and you also like learned loads, just sitting next to the DP, watching them. And in South America, we didn't have the budget to get like a, like a wireless follow focus or anything. So you'll be literally pulling focus with an FF4 or, you know, old school way and literally sitting in the dolly next to him. And that in a way you learn way more by you know, but that proximity to the DP, I suppose, like I feel now, ACs are really detached from from what's going on in front of the camera. Sure. Um, yeah. You had and, a comment then, that you said that the film school, you guys had some like mixed thoughts, like coming out of film school. Can you dive into that some more? Yeah, I guess you know. Um, once you once you go out into the real world and start, you meet people that went to film school and people that didn't, and. Um, in my experience, the people that didn't seem to me way more cooler than me. So I was like meeting all these people that were like, and they they seem to knew way more. Um, and and, and I, don't get me wrong, I do think it depends on the film school as well. What type of film school is it plays a big role. But my specific course was really theoretical and not much practical. I guess you do like yeah. three films in three years, which I think is is not enough. Um, and one of those is a documentary. So in reality, you only do two films, um, yeah. like narrative fiction films. I mean, that and, makes sense. Uh, well, and I feel like it's, it's two sides of the coin, right? Cause like, uh, for us, like we came up very much just like we started shooting stuff and I, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for Chris, but I always feel like there's gaps in my theoretical knowledge that I would love to fill. That's agreed. like some of that foundational, you know, blocking, storytelling, et cetera, stuff that you don't learn just being on set. That's like, okay, I, I would be confident showing up and, you know, lighting something or making something look good or whatever else. But like when it gets into like dialogue scenes and some of that stuff that I feel like people who have that film school background, that it can be helpful, but I totally get that it could depend on the program you're in too. I, I, no, I, I see what you mean. I, I've, I've kind of like tutored myself a bit more theory through books and stuff and watching people talk. Um, I, I, I do think you can find ways to fill the gap as well. But I, I think like something that film school doesn't teach you that real life filmmaking does is like getting your hands on, you know, getting comfortable even with expensive gear. You know, I remember like first coming out and, you know, shooting on a Nari classic for the first time. We didn't have that at film school. So it was like, the first time one showed up on set, they were like, oh, you're focus pulling on this, be careful, you know how to go through it. I was like, <laughs> shitting my pants, and I was like, fuck. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that, even like, it, I feel like film school should tackle that a bit more, so everyone feels kind of confident. By the time they're out in the world, they know the tools, but they also have the theory to back it up. 
Right. That makes sense. I was curious, like, because your work has a very strong sense of style, I feel like. And I feel like there's this perception, at least, that, uh, you know, Chris and I and some of our friends have talked about that's like Europe just has more style than stuff in the States does. Do you feel like... thousand percent. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you feel like you've had to be really intentional and like pushing an aesthetic or is that part of the collaborators? Like, where do you get your sense of style from? And is that something you have to fight for? Or are people asking you to like make this stuff really as dramatic looking as it is? That's a good question. I do, I do think it's, it's, I, I personally, I, I shaped, I, it's, I feel my style is ever changing. I feel I'm, I'm not where I want to be. I feel that's everyone really at some point, but I do feel um, I'm shaping currently some sort of style, I guess. But uh, luckily, because I, it's the style I tend to be drawn to, is subconsciously I end up putting on the work anyway. And and luckily, because that's what you post on your social media and what you get out there, that's what you get called for a little bit. I mean, I've, I've, I remember being called for... Uh, I, remember I did my first feature last year, and... Uh, I haven't posted anything about it because you know it's all NDA and stuff, and you know I I want to I think it's my best work out there, and it hasn't been really seen by anyone yet. That's but tough. I remember being called for a comedy first uh, last year as well. They they hit me up and they were like, "We want to do this feature about," and then you know that we were discussing the cinematography with the director, having brief chats, and I remember I didn't find myself. I was like, "This is really," I mean, I'd love to do a comedy, but I feel it's like. I don't know really how would I approach it, and um, you know we I I didn't felt confident, and I I, I thought at, at back at the moment it was a wrong decision for me to to say no, and and rather going with this other film that was more like aligned with I guess what I was trying to do, but um, yeah no just going back to the question I think the the style really for me it's been shaped by the people in the UK. Luckily when I did arrive in the UK, there's a good like cultural mix in London. Like I feel it's almost like a salad of cultures going on. And that's definitely influenced a lot of what I've done. So I, it, to answer to your question, I do think that plays a big role. Um, and it's a shame because now with Brexit and all this, it's, it's being lost slowly really. And it's, it's less, it's gonna be less, I guess, for the people that come later, but it's, having directors from in the crew i remember we were having like people from like 12 different nationalities at some point you know like this the sparks were australian and, and the ad team was like from singapore and that is so everyone cool. talking you know different accents and stuff is kind of cool so it does that it does cool. affect definitely that makes a lot of sense if you had to talk about like what you think are your strongest um or I guess just like, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses when you look at your own work and like what you feel really confident about and what you don't love so much? Where are those strengths and weaknesses for you? Well, I'll start with the with the strengths. I think so the <laughs> weaknesses are a lot. Um, strengths, I do think I when I commit to something, I I try to make it work. I don't like backing up from something. So I, before I I throw an idea out there, I'm really making sure it's something that I can make work and it's you know if that involves like a massive lighting rig or any difficult camera movement 
I I will try to like do my research before. Um, I also I think I because I I do a little bit of grading. Well, I used to do a little bit of grading while coming up in South America. I do my way around a good post. So um, I actually do a little bit of VFX as well. So when it comes to that, I can. I always glad I can speak the same language after, so I'll know how much I can push the footage to this or to there. So that kind of helps me out being more confident in a way because I know mm -hmm. sometimes I'm shooting like 3,200 ISO and the AC will be like, hey, remember, we're still at three. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. No worries. And, you know, carry on and stuff like that. Um, I guess like weaknesses is... Um, so Dude, many, carry on right? and stuff like that should be a t-shirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably I'll, I'll make them i'll make him wear it next time yeah. but um weakness i feel like um it's like the lack of um i don't know I, i'd like to experiment more i feel like i i wish i was more um i didn't care as much sometimes because I, I feel that makes me a bit careful about things, but I, I've seen some friends and I've discussed with other DPs friends, and I they sometimes they just like put the camera on this and they just like throw it up the hill, and I'm like, wow, why? And uh, I don't know. I guess I guess I'd like to to have a bit more of, of that like confidence of like you know like coming up with things that are not as as, as common really, and um, I don't know. I feel. Um, something that maybe everyone has is like I don't like to to reach a top I'd like to like just die and keep growing not only as a cinematographer but as a person and uh, I think that's one of the main reasons why I moved into here because for me in South America especially in Ecuador if you would like work really hard and and you know like put all into it I guess like in five ten years you could be doing pretty well and um, maybe that's it we reached the roof and you're doing amazing stuff and all that, but then you get comfortable in a sense, I think. Well, as I feel in, in a bigger market like in the UK, um, the roof and the talent and the amount of people is so huge that I, I feel like you could just be 70 and be at your prime and then still carrying on from there. So mm. I'm afraid yeah. of getting stuck, if that makes sense, or, or just being comfortable, staying comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. What, um, what's the, the journey been like on the business side for you? Like, so you moved to London and you want to become a DP. Like, do you just start going out to lunch with people? Do you go look for an agent? Like, how do you go from presumably being an unknown guy from South America to, you know, now working on big McLaren spots? Uh, what was that journey like for you? Um, well, I actually did, um, I did a one year intensive master, um, so, but I went in fully with the intention, like I already knew film school, I already had this like, ah, oh, film school is not going to work for me. But at the same time, I thought probably is the best way to create a, a base of contacts. Just like, that's also another thing I think film, film school in general is really useful for, like meeting other creatives that potentially. So that, I, I went and did that what year master's. Um, and it was really good. I met the, the tutor there was an amazing guy who actually helped me get my my lighting kit and all sorted for the first feature and all that but i think the people that i met there were um i guess the few first contacts i made to kind of like try to meet people outside school i remember while we were all in the master we were all like bra bragging about like 
who got jobs outside school because everyone was like working with projects within the school and it was like mm-hmm. but we were 11 cinematographers and I remember a, a friend just coming once and he's like oh I got a commercial for it and we were like oh fuck you know this guy's already <laughs> making it and we're here still stuck at the fucking chair um, so <laughs> I, I think that just built up I met people through there um, funny enough for example the feature um, it's a studio feature uh, it's, it's a franchise in the UK called Rise of the Foot Soldier, which is like an action thriller film. And um, so the director is was married. I think it's married. I think his boyfriend of one of the girls who was doing the production master at the film school. But when when they did the when they did the master projects, I didn't even talk to her much. Really, I mean, they went with someone, went another friend of mine. But after a couple months, after it was all over, this this friend of mine he he decided he didn't really want to be DP anymore. He just decided to went more into the steady cam side of things. Um, and um, I remember she was like a bit lost, and she was like she remember seeing one of my master films, and then I went and did like a like an absolute freebie for them. I remember I even put some of my gear and stuff, and I just like trusted the process and uh funny enough that just came into one of the biggest projects i've been on which was was it's like it's weird it's random it's like stuff like that will give you like so it's hard to explain really i guess it's just like you know i I made those first base of contacts and from there it's just like word of mouth from the people that's that's awesome you said that you uh you don't want to stay like i guess one fear of yours is being stale both professionally and and personally what are some of the things personally that you do to like always keep learning and keep growing this you're throwing some tough questions man <laughs> we like to we like to talk about things that aren't what are easy and things that no no it's uh, good you know people people can just google online a lot of like the things that we talk about normally in a film which which lenses podcast. did you shoot that on they're <laughs> on the bts we all know um, yeah, was, so yeah, was, I just want to get to know who you are. Like I care more about that. And I think we, we all have more to learn from that than a lot of times from the nitty gritty of like learning, how did you do that shot? So that's what interests us. So that's why. I no, that's that cool. Um, I, I guess I'd like to eventually the dream will be to shoot all over the place. I think one of the reasons why I became a cinematographer is because I saw how much you travel within the job and how every day, even if it's in the same city, it feels very different from the last one. I don't know how it's it for you, Evan, but I know like even when you shoot in the same city and you get different jobs and all that, I mean, every job is a new problem to solve almost. And that kind of mm-hmm. like reminds me that it, it, it makes me feel sane and alive. And I, I do enjoy that a lot about cinematography. I have to thank that aspect of it because um, it's also affected the way I am as a person, like uh, the way I deal with problems in real life. It's probably the way I have my work ethics at or when I'm working, really. Um, I, I, it, it's also, my, my girlfriend, she works at a hospital, and uh, when we come back from the house, I, I, remember, I, I, I come talking about my problems. I'm like, you know, this 50 mil was a bit off, and you know, the AC was having trouble and probably in it. And then she's like, we deal with this guy who almost killed himself, you know? Hmm. So I'm like, I'm humbled every time. I remember like our problems, you know? 
right. sometimes are not that big in, in the film scene. And, and it's a good reminder to just go out there and have fun. Like, it, it's, it's a definitely a good reminder because I definitely forget to, I get too stressed or too focused. And then I, I end up not enjoying the process. And then when it's finished, I'm like, wow, we just did this amazing thing. And I just didn't enjoy any bit of it. So it's, um, I try to be more towards the fun side of things while still keeping like a good dynamic and rhythm to the things I do, I guess. Hmm. I love that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. On the, the business side of this, you know, I'm curious with your experience with film school, with sort of having friends in the industry, how has it been learning? Like, I, di- I don't see your website doesn't mention an agent or anything. So I'm assuming you do all your own communication stuff and negotiating and rates and all that. Like, does that come naturally to you? How have you learned how to do that? Do you feel like you're good at that? How's the, how's the business side of the work that you do? Yeah. So on the business side is, um, I've actually been in chats with agents, um, especially this year. But it's, I can speak about that later. But it's 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 a personal decision right now. I feel like I, there's agencies on a, on the beginning end, and then good agencies later on. So I, I'm trying to kind of like accumulate a body of work that I'm proud of, and I think I can reach out to a bigger agency and kind of like skip that a little bit. Hmm. But yeah, I do end up doing all of that. You know, quoting and and telling people what your day rate is and all that horrible stuff. That it sometimes is like I I how I approach it now. I I do when a director approach me or something. I tend to talk to them and see, hey, can I talk with your producer first? Because this is hard for me to tell a director, hey, you know, this is my rate day rate, and you know, sorry, your idea is great, but you know, it's it's I tend not to put the money in between creatives really. So I try to have mm-hmm. a chat in private with the producers, sort out they're fine with it, and then jump into the creative chat. But um, I guess like finding your rates is probably one of the trickiest things in the world for freelancers. Uh, I remember like the way I, I kind of like found my rates. Well, now you you know, when you go into a commercial in the UK, you have the APA chart, which is like, it'll tell you how much a DP charges for day and stuff. But it only applies on commercials. So when you're still doing narrative or music videos, there's not a, there's not necessarily a fixed rate for that. Right. So it's, it's it's like a chat with all the DPs, really, and, and then you know having a chat and be like, how much was that? And then sometimes I was like completely blown away from like some friends were like, I I didn't even like charge money for that. And I was like, it looked like the they put all their fee into equipment to like use it almost as a passion project sometimes to kind of like boost their work but that sometimes i was blown away by the amount of money some 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 other people charge as well so i i try to like kind of like i don't have a fixed rate for music videos for example i do tackle it depending on the size of the production so i will ask like what's your budget for this and and then if it's lower than usually like two or three thousand i'm, I'm like it's going to be really difficult or we're going to have to make it work this way specifically well, as it tends to be something within the middle range, which is in the UK, will be somewhere around ten thousand, I guess, twenty thousand. Uh, it's more manageable, and you can get a good crew around. Well, as if you do one of these low-end projects, you will be pulling a lot of favors. Right. And 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 it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's not the best because you do want to get people paid, especially people that are not head of departments and are getting any like anything for their real, I guess, or for you know. 
Yeah. So I would be curious, um, based on the behind the scenes, I feel like the McLaren budget wasn't two thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, no. So no, um, was, so no. How did that project come about? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Set the stage for um, how you got brought into that, and sort of like what those initial conversations look like. I uh, that was. Um, the McLaren reached because I was doing commercials. I'm doing. I was doing a commercial for um, a charity about mental health, and um, I remember Henrik, which is the director of the ad, saw that commercial and he wanted to get that um, DP on board. So he reached out to me personally, which I found really. I I do like when people do that specific, and they don't go through like you know have a producer talk to you first. So they they were like congratulating you about, you know, the, I found this fantastic and I love this and I have this project in mind. So he, he reached out on on Instagram actually. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, we were chatting. I was like, I didn't even reply because, you know, it comes in requests when you're not. So I, I replied like three days later actually. And I was <laughs> like, and then he mentioned something about McLaren. I was like, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm the guy because I've done haven't done my, I've done like a few car chasings on the feature and on on other bits, but I haven't really shot like too many car stuff. So he was like, "No, but we want you because of you know more of like your greedy style and that we don't want the car shots. We want kind of like to approach it like as a story, like as a short." And uh, I sent a few of my shorts. I remember, I think, and. Um, well, we just started chatting from there, and then I I didn't thought it was that huge until I went to the McLaren headquarters one day, and I don't know how that <laughs> building is just like a massive flex. So that, yeah. that was the first time you realized how big McLaren was, is when you went to yeah, I was not too much into F one either. So right. I I think I I started I to watch that, that Netflix documentary. Um, yeah, until I, I started I to watch headqu- Netflix. Quarters is no, one sorry. of the like the prettiest, like as you said, flexes of all the teams. Like it is just it's gorgeous. Crazy, right? I think the building is made. I mean, the way it's built is to humble mm-hmm. you. Like yeah. when you went in, like the, just the hallway full of trophies is like endless. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's like, crazy like secret doors and stuff in that building. It's it's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, cool. and, and they build like a fake lake in the middle of it. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And then That's if you crazy. if you buy a McLaren car, you can just ride it around the the place. I was like, you know, yeah, this guy's all right. Okay, it's definitely not going to be cheap, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Henrik, he's internal at McLaren, correct? Yeah. So they're in all internal at McLaren. So how does that work out as far as like, is that job produced by McLaren or do they have an agency or a production company involved? Like, how does that work on a job like that? Yeah, it's, it's tricky because um, they are obviously just keeping the agency on the production company, but because they want to produce higher content in-house. And I do think it's because other brands have been doing it well mm-hmm. and they've been like you know oh we can definitely tackle this and even take it one step further in and add like a story to it not only good quality imagery but have some sort of narrative to it but it's it's different i mean having obviously as a dp i at the beginning i was like in the first ppm we were chatting and 
I was like, I, I, got, I think you guys gonna need to hire a production manager for sure because it's, I know you guys know producing, but it's different type of producing. You know this, <laughs> yeah. Like this guys know what a crew rate is. You know they know about overtime and all this stuff. So I would recommend you find a certain crew members and stuff. And they, they, they. Luckily, they've been doing big stuff again, but always from the outside perspective. So. They knew what this person was doing, and they knew what a TIT was, for example, and stuff like that. And then to like pushing in for these extra things that it's yeah. not like I'm not just pushing because we're pushing, but we actually need a big crew for this. Um, so they understood where you're coming from. Yeah, they were really, yeah. really keen and really. They, I felt like I had a lot of control in that when it when it came to like when the lighting proposal idea came through. I mean, they were like wow that's gonna be great they love it but i was like all right this comes with like seven people though yeah just and were they like when they when you guys were having these conversations did they have like okay well here's our production budget for like camera and g and e what can you do or was it more of like uh we want to make a sick thing tell us what you need because i feel like sometimes those jobs go either way with that it was more like like that they were like you know tell us what you need this is our idea. They had like a rough schedule of what the final product looks like now. And um, then, you know, I mean, it was all down to creativity, which I, I really appreciate because Kenrick is a, is a good creative in that sense where he, I think he's been doing a bit of videography before for McLaren. So he knows a little bit about, you know, what's involved behind it. No, not to an extent of what like a big film crew would be, but when I was speaking to him about, you know, the, the, the car rig, which is the biggest, could have been anything. But the fact that they decided to go with a big idea, I was like quite, there was like, he told me, if, if this is what we need to make it look amazing and epic and make people like clap on, on the thing, then we do it. And, and That's I great. was like, so it was, it was quite cool in that sense. So it's great to have the director and then also the client at being the same person when they're educated and they're in your corner. That oh was God, it's the dream. It's literally <laughs> yeah, never yeah, happens. Yeah. Never happens. So no, yeah, I was it like, I was it's also rare to have somebody whose internal uh, trust you so much for one, but then also understand like can visualize your lighting plan and layout and why you need those tools. And that's that's rare because normally internal people. They have they know just enough to be dangerous, and it's usually not the good kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do, I do think they had internally. They do still have their own little fights, you know. But as mm-hmm. long as the the head guy is on your side, yeah. um, the rest will kind of have to like you know. I know there's some people in my client that probably were not very happy when I was the pre light day it was super crazy. Yeah, but um, you know. Uh, as like you said, as long as as it doesn't happen very often, I was kind of like blessed to have Henrik in that way because he he felt like a really collaborator rather than the agency or like the client, you know, coming in and just like stepping on top of your stuff. Yeah, so you kind of just laughed at the pre-light day. Did something funny happen during that day? <laughs> well, the pre-light day, Jesus, it was Vini, which got is a, a lot of lights, man. I know. <laughs> Yeah, so I work with a gaffer that I, I've done my two features with, and I was like, "Hey, man, I need you for this one. It's a big job." And he's doing a feature on on the French Alps, 
and he was like he's booked into like fucking 2022 at the moment so i was like Jeez. all right send me someone that you trust and then he sent this guy which i i've kind of like knew before because of like you know the, the network and stuff in the uk and um we we spoke with Vinny and stuff and i gave him hey man how long do you think you'll need for this roughly because i know it's probably going to be a full day and then he was like yeah full day as well but maybe you know maybe we can do it in less and i was like all right great and then the client had like a little they wanted to use they wanted to test the light that we built, the rig that we built for an event they had at the end of the, before they take it down, they want to do like a little event with that light. And um, they were like, yeah, do you think you'll be able to do it in like six hours, eight hours? We were like, we were pretty confident. I was like, yeah, yeah, we should be fine. And then on the day, it took like 10 hours or nine hours to build, I think. And it was, it was because, and it was not because we were, we miscalculated the the time it was because so it's it's um it's a semicircle scaffold structure right and originally i wanted it to be not as big so it was meant to be 14 feet i think or 7 16 feet but when when the grape when the riggers arrived they were like i don't think it's very stable so it'll be good to double it up and make it 180 and spread the lights across mm -hmm. it, so it's like it has a stronger base to to balance on. And that obviously was double the amount of work because it's double the size of a structure. It's almost like thirty feet now, and double you know the amount of lights you need to like put across to make it look fill. So that's the reason why it kind of like took longer. But you know, and the McLaren people were just hating me, but I guess, yeah. You know, they loved it in the end. So it was fun. Yeah, the results were gorgeous. Yeah, with stuff like that, like are you are you prevising stuff like that? Because those are the kind of things that I honestly sometimes look at, and I'm like, I've seen stuff like that. I love ideas of stuff like that, but the gap between like I feel like I would have to like talk to my gaffer, and I'd have to like there would be a lot of conversations before me going, how does this actually look? How many of these units do we really need? Like. What else are we going to need? Because you guys, I think I saw you had like a big soft box over the car as well. And like, it's a, it's a whole setup. And do you just sort of have that in your head? Or is it like a rough plan? And then you figure it out once you get into the room? Or are you pre-visiting it? Like, what's your process to do setups like that? Yeah, yeah. it's, um, I think I, I learned a lot of, of about that on, on the first feature. Because the feature had, it has, I will say, I will argue it has bigger lighting setups than the commercial. And that requires a lot of nuts. I try to do previous. I don't. I don't previous before, and it works fine for me. Especially when I cannot go to location, and I just have pictures. I like to previous it and, you know, jump into what's it called, um, the program on Steam. Um, oh, Cinetracer. Oh, yeah, Cinetracer or something like that, and try to like, build a little model out of it. But um, for this one, it was I. I, I had the time. So with the time I visited the location a month before, and then I did a tech recce with Vinny at like a week or two weeks before, and I I did came with that idea. I do I always thought like because I mean the way you light cars is almost really special as well, isn't it? Because it's coming from the top, it's it's it feels good for the car and even for the narrative. The way they wanted to reveal the car slowly, I thought it was like a good shout to have a a twelve by twelve. Um, but then what really took a while 
was the rest like what was the background like because it's, it's it's amazing it's an empty warehouse but i felt just the top light wasn't enough and doing any yeah. justice it doesn't it didn't look epic and it didn't make that they wanted it to feel like the car is about to like burst into speed and i i tried two ideas i and i actually brought both to set so i, I had a 6k that it actually didn't made it into the final edit which is i think it's fine because they maybe it was a bit too much but you know at the beginning of the ad there's that like this light panning around this guy's uh, Lando's mm -hmm. face and the idea was like the, the light is calling him almost like a lighthouse and you know if we make it orange which is the color of McLaren it'll be like you know it'll make sense and mixed with the sound design so by the time he reached the warehouse I wanted this big 6k to pan around and kind of like reveal his face for momentarily and you know, same with the car but um, the wall ended up being so much more impressive. <laughs> like the wall was meant to be like the, I guess like the backup, you know, like yeah, it's the right. background and it's still amazing, but it's the big 6K pan around doing all the fucking epic shots. But the wall, because we, we ended up being so massive, I was like, we were looking at the shot, I was like, this, this wall just looks fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we just embrace the wall instead? So it's a little bit of planning, but at the same time, because things change on set, right? Like I didn't plan it to be that huge. Right. Um, I kind of like ended up embracing it and kind of like having still the 6K pan around, but not like taking over what, what the wall was doing. I think the wall, and it paid off in the end. I feel like the wall looks really, really, it was 100K light in the end. So it's like, you know... <laughs> This part super planning. proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm curious too for that setup that uh, I feel like went viral on Instagram. That like ending shot with the titans and the spinning whatever it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, it's a tight shot. Yeah, the yeah, shot of yeah. Lando's face with a helmet. How, what's what's the story there? Because that's another thing that like I feel like I would be like, this is either going to look awesome or it's not going to look like anything. Like if I just pitch that to someone, it's like, this may look super fake and cheesy. It looks awesome in the ad, but like, were you confident that was going to look good? Cause it, when you look at the BTS, it, it's almost like, this is a dorky dude. Everybody's like laughing in the setup too. That's doing it. Man, yeah. It's like, like, you're just like, ah, this is so cool, but I, we don't know if this is going to work. It's so true. No, I mean, man, honestly, I mean, it's a little bit of what I said, you know, like I think because I, I'm I'm becoming more this guy who like puts an idea out there and I, I have to commit to that idea. So when I pitched the idea of like um, he had an idea of a shot of he wanted him to to see only his helmet or his eyes at the end and just have him speed. That was his end shot uh, from the very first meeting. And I was like, OK, there's quite a few ways we could try that. And then obviously their helmets are so like tight. It's not like a motorbike helmet, which like reflect nicely. So we had to really get into the eyes, which was mm -hmm. really tricky. And I was like, you know, this is gonna be somewhere where we have to experiment a little bit. So we right. had a few variations of the rake where I knew from the very beginning, I told Vinny, you know, let's rake this Forasteras, Forasteras, a bit apart from each other. So they look like they're at different heights and we need to bring it down to eye line mostly to get inside there. Then add another layer, which was just a passing light, top light. And then I even had a, the gaffer just passing with another light, doing red light. And, you know, to add in like layers and layers. And I remember with the first time we tried it, um, it was, it, we didn't have to time to test it, but luckily we had 
time on the day where we were shooting on, where we knew this was a tricky shot, so I added a bit of extra time because I that extra time I used to test. I don't really tell the AD or anyone. I'm just like, I'm going to need this <laughs> Smart much time. Man. But in reality, what I'm doing is just testing out if it's going to work or not. So we tested out, and um, first with some colors, um, a client colors, and um, I felt it was like too, it didn't look like he was going through and then we try the different speeds. The speed played a key role because like having it very slow and the thickness, you know, you're putting the serum in a chase sequence. I mean, even the thickness of the chase played a big role. So we tried half the Astera and it looks horrible. And then we end up doing a tiny, tiny piece. And um, I remember watching uh, a video where Lando or I think in McLaren Formula Driver goes through that Monaco tunnel that has like, separate tiny lights across and I remember seeing that reflection on the helmet was super fast and I was like this is what we need to emulate somehow so we were tiny little pieces of Astera going at max speed almost and a little bit of camera shake and he hopefully you know it's you never know it's going to work or not I think there's always a little part of you you must know this there's oh, a little yeah. bit of a gamble every time. So. Well, and especially with no sound design, because the sound design sells it. But when you're watching just the squeaky stand go around, <laughs> it's like... You have to like almost make the sound in your head like yeah, while yeah, you're no. doing it to be like, okay, this will work or not. Man, and it, so this it, was a one-day shoot, right? Yeah. No, it was... Oh, um, sorry. So it was two-day shoot, really. Okay. Two-day shoot with a one-day pre-light. And... Uh, since you know client was kind of internal as well how long did you have lando for like how how forgiving <laughs> Mom, nobody knows that but he only was available for like three or four hours each day makes sense it was you know but this, he gave you two two blocks on each like on yeah so on like six day. hours total uh yeah so like six eight hours total um so what are you doing with the good. rest of the day yeah, so it's funny because everyone thinks uh, I use stock footage for like, you know, when the pipe goes in flames and stuff like that. But we actually, we shot that as well. So I, I took time to shoot all the little, I wanted to shoot every everything except from the stock footage. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I said, hey, you know, get some of your mechanics lying around with a few like shiny toys and then we'll hopefully get a few like fire effects and stuff like that. And the mechanics will, were loving it. They were like, oh, fuck yeah. yeah. They're great and to the work best with. Thing They're super on it. And uh, we were filming like stuff like, you know, like the, the close-ups, the projections. And then we were even testing. You know, there's a few shots on a rickshaw that were, you know, we wanted, when Lando shows up, we just wanted to be shooting continuously with nonstop, not even like yeah. lunch. So we'll always like make an early lunch or a late lunch to just be continuously taking full advantage of, of him. So we, we were like testing a lot of like the rickshaw movements with just a stand in on, on the mm. shot and figuring out, I mean, I, I knew it was going to work. So I just wanted to see it on camera, want the director to see as well, because, you know, you see mm -hmm. picture something and they picture something else. So right. Right. having everyone so on how the many, same page was good. How many setups were you guys getting to in a day? Like I'm assuming you had to have everything set up when he got there and then you sort of just bang through each scene. Um, like how many setups did you have up concurrently and were they all in that one warehouse? Does that all take place in the same place? So it all takes place on, it was one of the McLaren storage rooms. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's different units. So it all happened within a big space, but you know, the hallways in the unit and then the, the storage at the beginning is a different unit. 
and then the warehouse is a different unit. The projection room is actually the top floor of the warehouse. So um, they were all in different places, but within the same, I guess, you know, I don't know, fifth, I don't know, like two kilometers, one kilometer. Um, yeah. And then setup wise, um, the first day actually we, we did a few like, while the guys were still pre-lighting, I went in with a camera and, and the AC and just guerrilla some, you know, like shooting high shutter stuff. So like I will put the camera at eight frames per second and I start doing like grabbing some quick pans so they can use as a mm -hmm. wipe or something to use for. Yeah, love um, that. So the first day was probably like, I don't know, like five, 10 shots. And then the second day came something to like maybe 25 a day, something like that. So I would say like a good 50 shots in total. And then I don't know how many of those made the final film, but yeah, I would say around like 25 a day or something like that. Gotcha. So you want to do more car stuff now? <laughs> well, I loved it. You know, I, I'm kind of yeah. into Formula One now after that. Yeah. So. I'm doing, um, um, I've been called to do something car related as well. So I just want to be waiting if to get greenlit now. But um, I guess it's just, I wanted to do more narrative in general. And I, that's what I thought last year was going to go to because the, the first feature, feature kicked off. And then because there was a third lockdown here in the UK, I felt like they had to, you know, close their productions. And then once the lockdown got removed, I started on commercial again, which I'm I'm happy actually. But it's it's been a, this last two years is so I mean it's it's a mess really with the COVID situation. Like I don't know what even type of work I'm getting. So I'm just like if I'm on the commercial route, I'm just gonna embrace it. Right. Yeah. But um yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, if you have to start saying no to car jobs, I think Chris will take them if you need a referral. Yeah. <laughs> <I'll> take them <laughs> he's all. A, he's a big car guy. Um, okay. So I have one more one more question for you, um, which is, what is your favorite and least favorite part of that McLaren spot from a DP perspective? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, my favorite is probably... It's probably the wall at the end, you know, having like the wall becoming the hero of, you know, the, the shot and embracing the silhouette and almost like, you know, haze it more. And now like, we become a little like, like a Deakins approach or like a Macbeth approach where you like just have these silhouettes. Um, so that was kind of like my favorite side of it. And I guess the rickshaw, I also like that. I, I do, that shot took a lot of my energy and planning. So when it actually pulled, we pulled it off. I was super proud of it. So I would say the rickshaw so probably, which is, I don't know if you remember, it's a shot that the car seems from a side and then goes to a, uh, the least. The least is probably, um, I think, I've, I've, the, the, the post in general, we only had four days in total to turn around the whole thing. And I know... That includes sound design, editing, and color grading. So the editors were already editing on set while we were shooting just to get a little bit more extra time out of it. But uh, I, w I wish they had more time because I know that compromised. I know they could have come with a much better cut if they had more time. But they right. were so rushed. They 
for editing they only had two days and then one day for sound design one day for color gray so what they put together in two days the editors don't get me wrong it looks fantastic but i know that we we shot some stuff in there that i thought could have made the cut and that's just like i didn't like mm. that i guess yeah yeah that's fair you, you knew what it could be and that what's yeah, that for sure Oh, that yeah, you man. you knew what it could be because you've seen everything pass through your eyes and you just understand yeah. if they had more time, they would find those clips. I know, shots. it's always that like that, take... isn't it? It's a little bit like you. There's a shot you love and there's like a one shot steady camera and they will chop it off and will hurt yeah. you forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you and Henrik can bust out the director's cut at some point in the future. Go back I told him. there. Yeah, I told him. Man, and because it, I feel it deserves a longer version as well. But um, we'll see. I guess they're they're really happy with how it came off, and you know I'm that's happy great. as well. So it's like you know. Yeah, I mean it's sick, dude. If that's the if that's the rushed edit, then uh, you know hats off to everyone involved because that's a pretty sick piece, man. Um, but thanks so much for chatting. We're really glad to to have you on and to make this work. Where can people find you, connect with you if they have other questions, social media? What's the best place to hit you up? It's probably just Instagram. That's the only place I really use. Which will be my name, um, and DP at the end because you know it's fucking. Just remember to check those. It. Everyone was doing it at film school, and I had to do it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, cool, man. So, yeah. Well, I'll put a link to that in the description. But uh, thanks so much for your time. No worries, man. Pleasure, and thank you guys for having me. Really, I wish I wish um, I could ask you a few questions myself, but I guess I'll have to be when I when I make my own podcast. <laughs> we'll uh we'll do that off mic. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> the end. <laughs>